Awesome. Thank you, choir. While you're being seated, go ahead and turn your Bibles to the book of Proverbs, chapter 3, right towards the middle of your Bible, Proverbs, chapter 3, and I want you to hold your spot there. We are continuing in our series that we started last Sunday called 316. Kind of an odd name, I guess, for a message series, but really it just refers to a chapter and verse reference, and what we're doing for these few weeks, uh, up until summer kind of begins, is looking at different passages of Scripture in the Bible that are found at chapter 3, verse 16. Now, there's one you're really familiar with in the book of John. We'll get to that one really, really soon. Not today, but we'll get to it soon enough. But we're looking at different passages. Last Sunday, we had three, actually, different three sixteens that all tied together uh, with the one that we primarily looked at. But that's our series, just kind of a creative look. There's nothing... You know, there are no secret codes or hidden messages when you put all the 316 together. It's not the way that works. Um, but there are really powerful passages that are found. 49 of them, actually, in the Bible where we have a 316. Not all of them conducive to a message on a Sunday morning. Uh, but we're going to pull out the ones, I think, that hopefully will most apply. And so that's what we're doing for this series. So today we're going to be in the book of Proverbs. So last Sunday, if you were here, here's a little quick refresher. If you weren't here, this will catch you up. We began looking in 2 Timothy uh, uh, chapter 3, verse 16, and we, we looked at what Scripture says about itself and, and how Paul says in that passage, chapter 3, verse 16 in that book, of how Scripture is God-breathed, and it's profitable, profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correcting, and for training in righteousness. And, and so we started there, which is a really good place to start, because if you're going to look at the three sixteens in the Bible, it's a good place to start in looking at the Bible, what it says about itself, what Jesus said about it, and... Uh, and, and just sort of analyzing and taking a look at those things. And what we pulled out was is that the Bible claims to be God's Word. It's unlike any other written work in history. It's written by men, yes, but it's written by God primarily through men. And, and so it's a, it's a book unlike any other. I mean, it's the only book that we can say God has given us that is without error, that is designed for us to know how to live in this life and how to ultimately know Him in relationship through Jesus so that we can spend eternity with Him as well. And so 2 Timothy 3.16 talks about all that. And um, one of the things we, we sort of pulled out of there was this analogy uh, regarding a path. If you look at life as a path, of how that passage of Scripture shows us what the path in life is, the path that helps us to walk with God. Scripture shows us whenever we get off the path, it shows us how to get back on the path, and then it shows us how to stay on that path throughout the course of our lives. So Scripture is invaluable. It, it, again, it claims to be God's Word, and when we live it, it is never going to ever lead us astray. And so today, let's go ahead and add to that in the book of Proverbs chapter 3. Now, this is a cool thing. If you ever want to go through the book of Proverbs, there are 31 of them. Uh, if you do one a day, then in the course of a month, give or take, typically you're going to be able to read through the entire book just in one month's time, doing one proverb a day, 31 of those in the entire book. And so we're going to be in chapter 3 today. Now, let's, let's jump in, verse 16. We're just going to start with that verse, no context at all, and then we're going to begin to build around it and kind of add to it. So Proverbs chapter 3 Verse 16, it says, long life is in her hand, or in her right hand, in her left hand are riches and honor. Long life is in her right hand, in her left hand are riches and honor. So when you read that verse out of context, imagine for a second you haven't ever read in the book of Proverbs. You don't know what the book of Proverbs is about. You don't know the general theme of the book of Proverbs. When you read that, that passage... I mean, if you're like me, you're thinking, all right, so what is this that it's speaking about? Because if it holds the key to long life, and if it holds the key to riches and honor, then I want to know what this is talking about, this verse. Because out of context, it seems like, I mean, this must be some valuable possession that the writer of Proverbs is talking about. 
Well, we're going to get to that in just a second, but let me give you a principle that's really helpful when you read through the book of Proverbs. And the principle is this, that Proverbs reads differently than other books of Scripture. Right? So when you read the Bible, you've got all these different literary genres because, again, it is a book written by men, but God wrote it through them. But there's still these literary genres that are there. You've got narrative passages like in the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. They read sort of like historical accounts because they are. Then you've got works of poetry like Psalms. You've got apocalyptic literature that talk about the end times like, like uh, Revelation. You've got prophetic literature such as uh, parts of Daniel and uh, uh, Isaiah and other other prophets that would write in the Old Testament, but then you've also got what's called wisdom literature. Proverbs falls in that that genre of wisdom literature, and the reason this is important, this is helpful for you when you read the Bible, this is helpful especially when you read in Proverbs, that you read Proverbs a little bit differently because Proverbs isn't necessarily filled with hard, fast promises in life. Yes, you may find some of those in there, but generally speaking, what Proverbs is going to do, it's going to show you how life operates in general terms, okay? So, for example, when it says, train up a child in the way he should go, and when he's old, he will not depart from it. All of us can think of people who raised their kids in a godly environment. They, they shared the gospel. They poured scripture in. They put them in position to grow as believers. They had them in church, and they modeled a Christian life. And yet when, the, when that child grew up and became able to make their own decisions, they went a completely different way. Maybe even to the extreme, maybe they just abandoned God completely or embraced atheism or whatever you want to think of. We can all think of people who, who we think, you know what, as a, as a child, these parents raised this child the way Proverbs says, But when they got old, they did depart from it. Well, again, Proverbs isn't filled necessarily with promises. It's filled with this is the way life generally operates. They're Proverbs for life. And when we apply them, what we see, generally speaking, is that this is how it's going to unfold. Again, Proverbs reads differently than the rest of Scripture. There are many promises in the Bible that we take it for what it says. When God says, I'll never leave you nor forsake you, that is a promise. That is not generally speaking. That is a promise that we can bank on. Proverbs reads a little bit differently. And so in in general terms, this is the way life operates. And so what it tells us in Proverbs 3 verse 16 is that whatever it's talking about, it, it has long life in its right hand, it has riches and honor in its left hand. So what's the context? What's, what's it talking about? Really important question. Let's go ahead and see what that context is. Let's jump in. Chapter 3, let's move back a little bit and begin picking up in verse 13. We're going to read down through verse 20. So the writer of Proverbs writes here, and he says, How blessed is the man who finds wisdom and the man who gains understanding. Let me pause there. So Proverbs, most of them written by Solomon, the the setting is that it's as a father writing to their son. And so when it mentions how blessed is the man, it says that because it's as a father writing to their son. It doesn't mean that the ladies aren't <laughs> applicable here. It's just that's the context in which it was written. Certainly this applies to men or women. So it says, How blessed is the man is the person who finds wisdom and the man who gains understanding. For its profit, the profit of wisdom, is better than the profit of silver and its gain than fine gold. She, wisdom, is more precious than jewels. Nothing you desire compares with her. Long life is in her right hand. In her left hand are riches and honor. Her ways are pleasant ways, and all her paths are peace. She is a tree of life to those who take hold of her. Happy are all who hold her fast. The Lord, by wisdom, founded the earth. 
By understanding, he established the heavens, and by his knowledge, the deeps were broken up and the skies dripped with dew. So when we look at this passage, what it's talking about is this whole concept, this quality of wisdom that applies to every single one of us in this room today, everyone. Now, I know it's graduation Sunday. We recognize and honor those who are graduating Let's just start with that group. Maybe for you, you remember when you stood in that place, when you were ready to kind of step out of that to that next season of life. You know, for these students, as many of them head off to college or as they move into the workforce, into the career path, uh, as they step into that new arena, what, what that is going to entail is a step into this world in a way like has never been experienced before. In, in a world that can be very cold with very rough edges and that can be very difficult to navigate, in a world that doesn't play fair, in a world that, that um, will do everything it can to break you down and to keep you there, right? That's the next step. I know that's very appealing and it's so warm and fuzzy, right, as we celebrate these graduates that are heading out. But that, that's kind of that next step into that world. And I say all that to say this, you can't afford to navigate that world without this whole quality of wisdom. Right? You'd be crazy to navigate this world without this quality of wisdom. You've got to have it. That's what's going to be absolutely necessary for the next stage in life. But for those of us who've already moved through that season, right, we need wisdom just the same as well. Maybe for you, you face some really difficult decisions in your career, right, in your work world, where you are. And, and, and you maybe have found yourself at a place where, you know what, I pursued this degree, uh, I, I began doing this career that attached to my degree, and I've been doing it for years, but now there's an opportunity for me to do something different, and I'm having to make this decision, do I step out of my career path and do something completely different, or do I stay where I am? It takes wisdom to navigate that. Maybe for some of you, you're thinking, hey, I'm in the, the, the type of work I've always done, but um, there's been another job opportunity that's come available, and I'm having to decide, and I'm having to weigh, is this going to be good for my family? Is it going to require travel? Am I going to have to relocate? Uh, is it going to pay the bills? And you're thinking you're having to put all that together and weigh it out, and what's going to help you the most is going to be wisdom. Or maybe you're in a setting in your family where you have some, uh, some tension or you have some, um, uh, some difficulties going on relationally within your family or in a relationship, and you're wanting to, to handle those tensions. You're wanting to, 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 to work through all that in a way that's going to be beneficial, not harmful down the road. And you're thinking, like, you know, do I say something? Do I not say something? What do I do? Do I just forgive and let it go? Or do, how, how do I handle all these issues in, in my relationships? It takes wisdom to do that. Handling finances, health decisions, all those things require wisdom. And there's no script really outside of what Scripture tells us. And yet what we find is it doesn't take the book of Proverbs to tell us that we have to have wisdom to ultimately make it in our lives. We, we know that just from our own experience. We can't afford to live without wisdom. So before we go any further, let's just identify what wisdom is in the first place. Is wisdom the same thing as knowledge? So Brooks, are you telling me I just need to get more knowledge in my life? I need to read the Bible more so that I get more knowledge about who God is? Do I need to study more in these areas? Do I need to become a financial expert or a relationship expert? I mean, is it all about knowledge? No, it's not all about knowledge. Yes, knowledge is important, but wisdom is in a different category. Wisdom in a completely different category than merely knowledge. In fact, take a look at this definition. All right, this is a definition that, uh, do we have it on the screen back here, I think? Yep. So uh, I made this up. I don't know if that was wise or not, but I made this up. So you can disagree or agree with me. But to me, this is kind of how this unpacks. Wisdom is knowing what to do with what you know. All right, what we know, that's knowledge. 
We've all known people who have a lot of knowledge, but they weren't necessarily the wisest people on the face of the earth, right? Knowledge is different than wisdom. Wisdom is knowing what to do with the knowledge that we have. So I came across this illustration, and I thought it was excellent. I thought it nails it. And you'll never forget the difference between wisdom and knowledge ever again when I share this with you. So knowledge is knowing that a tomato is a fruit. Did you know that? A tomato is a fruit. I mean, it really is. You gain a little more knowledge if you didn't know that. Knowledge is knowing that a tomato is a fruit. Wisdom knows not to put it in the fruit salad. Okay, that's what wisdom is. Knowledge says, I know a tomato is a fruit. Wisdom says, don't dare put it in the fruit salad. It doesn't belong there. There's a difference between knowledge and wisdom. What Proverbs 3 is talking about is this quality of wisdom. And when you boil it all down, it is just simply knowing what to do with the knowledge that we have. It's knowing how to apply it. It's knowing how to work it out. It's knowing how to ultimately live accordingly to what we do. And if you go back to this passage in chapter 3, I know I just read it, but let me just just through it again real quickly, pulling out some key words. This is what wisdom does. According to Proverbs 3, verse 13, it's going to bless the one who finds it. Verse 14, it's going to bring profit and gain that has nothing to do with finances or wealth. It says better than the profit of silver. Its gain is more than fine gold. It doesn't have anything to do with finances. Wisdom brings profit and gain. It's precious. It's beyond compare, verse 15 tells us. It says long life, riches, and honor. Generally speaking, it doesn't mean every person with wisdom is going to have you know, a life of 120 years, and it doesn't mean a person whose life seemingly was cut short did not have wisdom. But in general terms, the person who is wise and applies wisdom across the breadth of their life, their days are going to be long, their, their days are going to be full, and their life is going to be meaningful and effective. Right? That's what it says. And so according to that verse, verse 16, this is what wisdom brings. Verse 17, it brings peace. Verse 18, it adds quality. It adds happiness to life. And then even in verse 19 and 20, it goes all the way back to creation, Genesis 1 and 2, and it says it was the Lord himself who applied wisdom when he created, verse 19 and verse 20 tells us. And so in our lives, we have all these different pursuits, Right? All these different pursuits that if we could somehow put everybody together collectively here and take a look at the different pursuits of our lives, we'd find a variety of pursuits. There are some in this room right now, not even counting the first service that was here, some in this room right now, your primary pursuit in life is related to what you do for a living, right? It's related to how much money you earn. Everything you do is, is, is associated with that pursuit. That is the primary pursuit, not the only pursuit, but it's the primary pursuit of your life. For others, your primary pursuit is to accomplish, it's to acquire, it's to get things done, right? That's what your goal is in life. For others, it's to, it's to, whether it's to be popular or to build a name for yourself, maybe that's one of the pursuits of your life. Others of you are on a life quest for happiness, you know, for meaning, for joy. I mean, all these different pursuits in our lives. And yet what this passage tells us is that at the end of the day, uh, and we're going to see that wisdom ties in with our pursuit of who God is. It, it comes through a relationship with Christ. But at the end of the day, wisdom has to be there towards the top of everything that we pursue. And the picture that it paints there is that whatever it takes to get this, you need to go out and you need to get it. And what it's talking about in chapter 3 is this quality of wisdom, knowing what to do with what you know. Solomon, who wrote most of the book of Proverbs, is really interesting because we get a glimpse into 
an experience in his life that comes back in 1 Kings chapter 3. And in 1 Kings chapter 3, we get this little snapshot of a request that Solomon makes when he's king. Now, before Israel divided into two kingdoms, Israel to the north and Judah to the south, they were a united kingdom. You just had the nation of Israel, right? The, the, the kingdom of Israel. They had three kings during those united days. Um, you had King Saul, then you had King David, and then you had King David's son Solomon, each reigning for about 40 years, roughly 1,000 B.C., give or take, depending on which king you're looking at, about 3,000 years ago. Solomon would be the final of those kings in the, when the kingdom was united. And we find here that when he took over as king, following the footsteps of his father, David, that he makes this specific request. First Kings chapter 3. Let's pick up in verse 5. It says, In Gibeon, the Lord appeared to Solomon in a dream at night, and God said, Ask what you wish me to give you. And then Solomon said, Well, you've shown great loving kindness to your servant David, my father, according as he walked before you in truth and righteousness and uprightness of heart toward you. And you've reserved for him this great loving kindness that you've given him a son. Solomon speaking about himself. You've given him a son to sit on his throne as it is this day. Now, O Lord my God, you've made your servant king in place of my father David, yet I am but a little child. I do not know how to go out or come in. Wouldn't it be great if the rulers of our world today had that level of humility, <laughs> right? They said, I'm like a child. I don't know how to go out or how to come in. That is the precursor of wisdom, okay? Knowing what to do with what you know, not thinking you've got it all figured out yourself. Verse 8, your servant is in the midst of your people, which you've chosen, a great people who can't be numbered or counted for multitude. So give your servant an understanding heart to judge your people. This is his request. To discern between good and evil. For who is able to judge this great people of yours? And it was pleasing in the sight of the Lord that Solomon had asked this thing. And God said to him, because you've asked this thing and have not asked for yourself long life, nor have asked riches for yourself, nor have you asked for the life of your enemies, but you've asked for yourself discernment to understand justice. Behold, I've done according to your words. Behold, I've given you a wise and discerning heart so that there has been no one like you before you, nor shall one like you arise after you. I have also given you what you've not asked, both riches and honor, so that there will not be any among the kings like you all your days. Isn't it interesting that Solomon, who wrote much of the book of Proverbs, we get to Proverbs 3.16, and it talks about how wisdom has uh, long life, riches, and honor. Isn't it interesting how that overlays so perfectly with the very thing that Solomon asked for earlier in his life and that God said he would give? I'm going to give you wisdom, and because you have that, I'm going to also give you long life, and I'm going to give you honor. I'm going to give you riches, Right? It all tied together. In reality, when you think about it, what good are riches, by the way, without wisdom? You ever known somebody? Don't point to them or give them an elbow or call their name out. You ever know somebody who had great riches, but they were as unwise a person as you could think of right now in this moment? Right? What good is it to have riches and no wisdom? That's a recipe for disaster. 
What good is it to have accomplishment or to have possessions and to have no wisdom? You were just asking for trouble. It's almost as though you've been given tools to make life even harder and worse and more hurtful if we try to handle those things without wisdom. And so Solomon, he set the example. Now, he didn't apply it. Sadly, through the later stages of his life, he gravitated away from wisdom, and much of what we read in Proverbs seems to be Solomon saying, don't do it the way I did it. <laughs> you know, we see some of the horrendous effects that came when Solomon did not live according to wisdom. In, in fact, the nation suffered as a result of it. Proverbs chapter 2 kind of paints this picture of what our attitude should be as it relates to wisdom. Look over just a chapter before where we were in Proverbs. Turn over from Proverbs 3 to chapter 2. Look at what it says beginning in verse 1. It says, My son, if you will receive my sayings and treasure my commandments within you, make your ear attentive to wisdom, incline your heart to understanding. For if you cry for discernment, lift your voice for understanding and if you seek her as silver and search for her as for hidden treasures then verse 5 then you will discern the fear of the Lord and discover the knowledge of God for the Lord gives wisdom from his mouth come knowledge and understanding he stores up sound wisdom for the upright he is a shield to those who walk in integrity guarding the paths of justice and he preserves the way of his godly ones then you will discern righteousness and justice and equity and every good course. For wisdom will enter your heart, knowledge will be pleasant to your soul, discretion will guard you, understanding will watch over you to deliver you from the way of evil, from the man who speaks perverse things, from those who leave the paths of uprightness to walk in the ways of darkness. When you look at this picture, I mean, again, it, 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 it only um, uh, heightens what he says in chapter 3. It, it takes that even another level of the chapter 4 in chapter 2 when he says if you've got wisdom it's going to guard you it's going to preserve you it's going to direct you it's going to bless you it's going to honor you I mean raising the bar Solomon he's stacking up brick after brick painting and building this masterpiece of what wisdom looks like and the benefits of what it does in our lives and yet so often what we want to do is we just want to pursue our way and our agenda what we think is going to make us happy to the exclusion of the wisdom that God stands ready to give us I mean, he wants us to have this. And he says, if you've got wisdom, treasure it and guard it. And there's almost this principle there that in order to acquire wisdom, we have to first desire wisdom. We're not going to acquire it if we don't desire it. That God is not going to take us. It doesn't, we could come to church every single Sunday for a decade, and God is not going to force, like, choke slam us down and force feed us wisdom if we don't want it. And, and, and what Solomon, remember, this is a dad writing a book to his son. This is the context of the book of Proverbs. He, he's telling his son, whatever it takes, pursue this. Whatever it takes, acquire wisdom. It is this valuable for you. So, so how do we do that? Don't follow me in these passages. Just read them on the slide behind me because I'm going to move somewhat quickly through these passages. So, so where do we find wisdom? Romans chapter 16, verse 27 it gives us a little bit of a clue. It says in the very last verse of the book of Romans, to the only wise God through Jesus Christ be the glory forever. Amen. Wisdom is associated alone with God. You go all the way back to the Old Testament, to the book of Job, chapter 12, verse 13. With him, with God, are wisdom and might. To him belong counsel 
and understanding. You go back to Proverbs again, just a few chapters ahead to Proverbs chapter 9. You go down to verse 10. Look at what it says here in verse 10. It's the fear of the Lord. That's the beginning of wisdom. Knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. So if we decide, all right, Brooks, I get it. Man, you, all these verses are adding together. I understand it. Proverbs tells me that I need to do whatever I can to acquire wisdom, that it's going to guard me. It's going to give me discretion. It's going to protect my steps. It's going to give me long life and riches and honor. Generally speaking, it's going to fill my life. It, it, it doesn't mean we're automatically going to have a wallet fat with more cash and, you know, again, live to be 120 years old. But generally speaking, our life is going to be far better if we live it according to wisdom. So how do I find it? Well, we find it in God. Because it says in multiple verses that he is the one who possesses wisdom. And it tells us uh, very clearly that it's the fear of the Lord that's the beginning of wisdom. We fear him. We honor him. We surrender to him through relationship with Jesus. It doesn't come apart from that to the point to where. So let's start with the students. If these students, if they leave high school and in just three short months say, whoa, I'm finally on my own. I'm free. Mom and dad aren't here. They're not calling the shots. I'm able to do whatever I want and just kind of clear the fence and take off running with this newfound freedom and independence and all this thing. And wisdom is not a part of that. It's going to be a train wreck. It's just, it's just going to be a train wreck. But it doesn't stop with that group, with that population. If we take singles, marrieds, uh, old, young, regardless, families, no family, if, if we take every one of us and we just drop us down in that scenario, if we go running through our career, if we go running through our relationships, if we go running through our weekends, if we go running through our finances, if we run through all these different categories of life and we do not apply wisdom, it's going to be a train wreck. In Proverbs, all the way back in the very first chapter, in the seventh verse, it says the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge or the beginning of wisdom. And then look at, look at how the end of verse 7 ends. It says, fools despise wisdom and instruction. That's interesting. Forty times in the ESV translation, 40 times in the book of Proverbs, the word fool is used. And it shows this person whether they live without moral boundaries, whether they live without ethical boundaries, whether they live it just in a general overall sense where God is on the fringe, God is in the margin, he's not in the center, he's not the primary pursuit. The person who lives in that way would ultimately prove themselves to be foolish. Rejecting wisdom. Whether that's aggressively, actively rejecting wisdom, kind of the shake the fist at God, I want to do it my way, or if it's a passive rejection of wisdom that says, you know what, I'm still going to go to church and I still got my Bible, right? But I'm still going to on the inside live it my way. Would be foolishness. So to acquire wisdom, we have to desire it. But then there's an, a final principle that I want us to close with, and that principle is this, that to acquire wisdom, here, here's the great thing. We can ask God for it. We can ask God for it. I hope for you that when you start your day and you pray to the Lord, I hope that part of that prayer, not ritualistically, not mechanically, but I hope part of that prayer is for wisdom for you, for your family. I pray for wisdom every day. Does it mean that I apply it in every circumstance or every day? No. <laughs> I got a lot of room to grow. But every day, 
I pray for wisdom. And I know a lot of you do as well. Right? And when you look at Proverbs and, and you, you start with 3.16 and see what goes with it, and when you see what happens when we don't apply it, it makes no sense for us not to ask God for it. He invites us to ask him for wisdom. We close with this passage, James chapter 1, verse 5 is where we start. He says, if any of you lacks wisdom, right? if you, if you kind of survey the situation, you look at your life and say, you know what, I need more wisdom. I've made some foolish decisions. I, I'm, I'm not wise in certain areas of my life. If you say, I need more wisdom, here's what God says. If you lack it, first of all, admit it, own it, desire it enough to then ask me for it. He says, let him ask of God who gives to all generously and without reproach. Now, this is a promise, <laughs> He says, ask me and I'll give it to you. If you really want it, ask it and I'll give it. It'll be given to him, verse 6. But he must ask in faith without any doubting. For the one who doubts is like the surf of the sea, driven and tossed by the wind. That man ought not to expect that he will receive anything from the Lord, being a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. Verse 5, verse five he says, just, just ask me for wisdom and I'll give it to you. And when you have it, live by it, he says, because it's going to guard you, and it's going to have your back, and it's going to light your path, and it's going to, it's going to bless you, and it's going to fill you, and it's going to give you a, a, an abundant life. And it's going to give you wisdom and discernment so that when you find yourself in the moment when you have to make a decision, and you can't run and get all the facts to help make your decision, you just got to make the decision the best you can with what you know, wisdom will be there to help you do it but it doesn't operate apart from a life that's yielded to God because it's the fear of the Lord that's the beginning of wisdom. So let me ask you a question as we close this up and wrap it up for today. In what area of your life would you say specifically, as you start to sift this through, take it personal, sift it through your life, what area of your life would you say are you in the biggest need of wisdom right now? right now. It may be different a week from now. It might be different tomorrow, but right now at this stage in, in, in your present circumstances, where is it that you need the wisdom of God the most? There's a place for gathering the facts. The Bible highlights wise counsel, right? Surrounding yourself with godly people who can speak into your circumstances. If God speaks through his word. Wisdom will never run counter to the truth of God's word. But when you look at the area of your life right now where you need wisdom the most, are you willing to desire it? And are you willing to ask God for it? And are you willing to apply it? Whether it's in a financial decision, whether it's in a relationship, whether it's in a career decision, or whether it's in just some personal issue that you face. Do you desire God's perspective? And are you willing to embrace it, to fear him, request it, and then live by it. If you are, he says, I'll give it. I'll give it. And when we live it, what we're going to see is, by and large, over the years, our life is going to reflect what a wise life looks like. Now, if you're like me, you look back and you say, you know what, Brooks, I could have probably used this message in some of these verses about a year ago or 10 years ago or maybe 20, 30 years ago. This would have been really helpful then. Listen, when, when we miss it and we make those choices that don't fall into the wise category, we've all done that. Aren't you thankful for God's grace that covers those missteps, that brings that forgiveness of those sins? 
And aren't you grateful that God can even work those things out for good in a way that still keeps us filled and still gives him glory? Far better to avoid the hurt and the painful road that gets to God's grace by just pursuing and requesting wisdom and then living it in the first place. And if you don't know him, man, I'm telling you, more than getting wisdom, what you need is to get the Savior, (laughs) to have that relationship with Jesus that gives you access to God where you can request anything, knowing that he's going to work on your behalf for your good and for his glory. And if you don't know Christ today, it doesn't come by coming three more Sundays and getting the punch card filled out, now I'm going to heaven. It comes when you meet him where you are and say, Lord, I've blown it and I need a savior and I need forgiveness. And Jesus, I believe you're God and died and rose to provide it. And right where you sit, you can say, Jesus, would you forgive me and take my life and do with it as you would and save and rescue me and he'll do it right where you sit. I promise. Let's pray. Lord, how cool it is that you give us a book that gives us truth for life, points us to you, tells us how to know you through Jesus, tells us how to live a life that puts you on display, tells us what paths to pursue that help add richness and just a vibrancy to our lives, God, abundance. And Lord, all of those things are wrapped up not in us pursuing what we think is best. It's it's pursuing a life that gives you glory. It's a life where you're in the very center. And Lord, part of that is living life in wisdom in a way that applies your word to our lives and circumstances, in a way that keeps you first, in a way that puts us in second place, you in first place. And as we apply the truths of your word to our lives and as we seek to make decisions that honor you and as we ask and as we desire wisdom, Lord, thank you that you give it. Lord, it doesn't mean that we won't make some wrong choices along the way, but generally speaking, as Proverbs tells us, it's the way of wisdom that's the way to the full life. But God, we also thank you for the moments when we didn't use it and when you apply grace there. God, I pray for those maybe that are in a place today where they're already thinking how ironic that this guy preached on this subject today because of the decisions they make right now. Lord, thank you for those folks that you've spoken into their lives, and I pray you'd give them wisdom. And God, for every one of us that will not look to chart a course, whether it's a new graduate setting out into a new category of life, or whether it's those of us who have been in that category we're in for years, Lord, may we never chart a course independent of you. But may it always be with you at the front as we follow your lead living a life of wisdom that glorifies you and fills us. And so, Lord, we thank you for what you do. Thank you for the promises you make. Thank you that you'll give it as we ask for it. And, God, when we live a life that reflects wisdom, may it be you that gets the honor and the glory because only you deserve it. And it's in Jesus' name we pray.